I am here in Edinburgh at the Association of Anaesthetists Annual Congress, and it is my pleasure to introduce to Coffee and the Gas podcast Dame Julia Slingo OBE, who served as a chief scientist at the UK Met Office until her retirement, leading a team of more than 500 scientists on a broad portfolio of research that underpins weather forecasting and climate change, amongst others. So welcome to Coffee on the Gas podcast, Dame Julia, um, and thank you for accepting our invitation. It's a pleasure to speak to you. You gave a hard-hitting keynote speech this morning about the evidence behind uh, the effect of anesthetic gases on climate change. So for the benefit of our listeners to start off, Can you explain what global warming potential and carbon dioxide equivalent stand for and what are their uses and limitations in determining effect on climate change? Yes, thank you. So global warming potential is a metric which was designed to set emissions of one gas in the context of emissions of carbon dioxide, which, as we know, is the principal driver of anthropogenic climate change. And this metric was created to really help with the Kyoto Protocol, which is about international agreements on limiting carbon emissions. And and carbon emissions include not just carbon dioxide, but gases like methane too, but the major greenhouse gases. So it's a policy instrument to help with international negotiations on climate mitigation. It's incredibly simple, and all you need to know to compute it is how radiatively effective a gas is. In other words, how well, how good it is at trapping thermal radiation in the Earth system, and how long that gas lives in the Earth system, the atmosphere in particular, of course. And in the case of carbon dioxide, we know it's a real problem because it lives for 100 years at least. Whereas we know that the volatile anaesthetic gases, even the longest lived one, which is desflurane, which is what we were here to talk about today, its lifetime is only 14 years. So it's a sh- what we call a short-lived climate forcer. So you can compute for any gas, actually, and it has been done for all pollutants, really, uh, what the theoretical global warming potential is in comparison to the equivalent emission of carbon dioxide. And that's where we start the discussion. If you know the GWP, you can then, of course, say, well, if I emit one kilogram of desferane, for example, I can equate that to so many kilograms of CO2 through an equivalence calculation. And that's how we arrive at, well, one hour of operating with desferane equates to driving 200 to 400 kilometres in my car. Um, So that's the basis of where we're at today, is that all the decisions around anaesthetic gases have been uh, couched in GWP and then in terms of carbon footprints, in terms of equivalent CO2 emissions. And what I wanted to show today is that from a climate science perspective, these emission metrics are, have some really fundamental flaws and they were not designed 
for these sorts of applications? Uh, global warming potential and carbon dioxide equivalents um, have got these fundamental flaws and yes. limitations. Um, what would be a better uh, measure of the impact of an anesthetic gas on global warming? So I think you need to really sort of go back to understanding why climate change is happening, and that's to do with the energy budget of the planet. And what we're doing is we're trapping more thermal energy in the planet through increasing greenhouse gases. So there's an imbalance, what we call the radiative forcing of the planet, by uh, perturbations to the greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere. And as climate scientists, and indeed what the IPCC does in this respect, is to really look at climate forcing, radiative forcing, as a much better comparator of the effects of different greenhouse gases. And when we do that, of course, you if you want to know the radiative forcing, you have to know, of course, the radiative efficiency and the lifetime, but you also need to know how much of the gas is actually in the atmosphere. And this is the problem for desflurane, that actually the concentrations of that gas, along with its short lifetime, mean that the amount in the atmosphere that can act as as a greenhouse gas is really vanishingly small. And the radiative forcing is many orders of magnitude smaller than that from carbon dioxide. So we're talking about 0.0014 watts per meter squared as the radiative force and compared with 2.6, say, for, for the other greenhouse gases. So it's, it's, an, it's, it's actually in the context of the climate system a non-problem. Uh, the, the perturbation to the planet's energy budget is so, so small, it would get completely washed out by the huge energy exchanges that are going on in our weather and climate systems hour by hour, day by day, year by year, decade by decade. So we need to put it in perspective, and the perspective is that it's, it's irrelevant. So if I understand correctly, when we think about our impact on global warming as an aesthetist, we don't just need to look at the global warming potential, but we also need to factor in the concentration of the gas in the atmosphere, which for this fluorine is, as you said, uh, vanishingly small. And then also we need to look at the uh, radiative... Radiative forcing. Yeah. So the the energy imbalance that it produces on, on the on the climate system. Um, which essentially means that removing this fluorine from our anesthetic machine isn't really going to have as much of an effect. Has no effect. Has no effect, actually, on global warming. So in terms of, of policy, what would you think would be a good way of the NHS uh, reducing its carbon footprint rather than focusing on a change that might be really negligible? Yeah, so I think, of course, we all know that carbon dioxide is the main driver of climate change. No no one's discussing that. It's a known fact. No, and and there's a very good uh, now understanding that there's a linear relationship between how much global warming you have in terms of surface temperature increase versus the accumulation 
of anthropogenic carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And the word here that's really important is accumulation. Uh, and carbon dioxide is such a problem because its lifetime is 100 years or longer. Um, the carbon dioxide that I'm producing today well, is going to outlive my children's yes, uh, yes. lifespan, that, really. That's, that's right. And so the focus has to be on reducing direct carbon dioxide emissions. There are lots of ways one can do that through energy efficiency, moving to more renewable energy sources, looking at the whole supply chain from acquisition, creation of a particular product, through to its how do you get rid of it or where, where, how, do, how do you dispose of it if, if there is an issue like that. You need to look at all of that to see where's the carbon dioxide involved. So I think one of the things that's concerned us most a lot about the ban on desflurane is that the implication that actually we can all go to using Teva. Mm -hmm. And we know that Teva produces a lot of waste. It also requires more stuff in, in the theatre in the first Consumables. Place. Consumables. Yeah. And so we need to be honest about that and understand what's the hidden carbon dioxide emissions in the things that we're using and the waste we're producing. And can we actually do better in yeah. reusing, recycling, looking at renewable energy, looking at, um, well, all sorts of, of ways in which an, an energy efficiency has to be something to be seriously looked at. Mm -hmm. And when we build new hospitals and so forth, we need to have these things front and central about can the building be much more environmentally friendly for its staff and patients, mm -hmm. as well as being, of course, environmentally friendly in terms of its impact on climate change? Um, and one of the pr proposals that, that you put forward in the keynote speech was about um, making areas greener for patients, yes. both in terms of mental health benefits but also in terms of plants and trees absorbing carbon yes. dioxide yes um and potentially going even with creative solutions like solar panels to create shade in parking places but also um, creating greener energy that's right so i mean i'm sure the nhs has thought long and hard about you know, things like solar panels on roofs and things. But what's been really interesting is to see that in France, legislation is now in place. It says that every outdoor parking lot that has more than 80 cars in it has to have be roofed with solar panels. And actually, that just, to me, I thought, well, that just makes an enormous amount of sense. Yeah, it's good sense, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think, you know, we need to sort of... Um, think innovatively about how we make space for nature, how we can either reduce or replace our carbon our direct carbon emissions. And actually, most of all, I think the lesson from the Desflurane story is that it's really um, an imperative now to make sure you bring in expert, expert scientists, in this case on climate change, to avoid the sort of thing that's happened here. Um, because actually, climate scientists were saying that uh, 13 years ago, that mm -hmm. this 
death rain would have no impact whatsoever. Of course, we're a group of, um, I think, quite enthusiastic kind of, of forward, forward-thinking individuals that want to um, make things better for ourselves, for the climate, and for our children. Uh, but of course, the decision-making needs to be informed by the evidence and by the science um, rather than um, doing things without kind of having that backing. Um, the issue is somewhat more complicated, I think, um, with uh, nitrous oxide, from what I understand. Yeah, so nitrous oxide is a, is a major greenhouse gas, but it has, unlike the anaesthetic gases um, we've been talking about, has a lot of na- natural sources and other sources. And so... And it is also, like carbon dioxide, a very long lifetime. So it's an important gas because, again, it it can accumulate in the atmosphere. I think the question for anaesthetists and and the health service more generally is to put their, their emissions in the context of other emissions that are going on with nitrous oxide to get a sense of are we an irrelevant, vanishingly small player or, or are we not? And um, I think it's worth at least looking at uh, the global assessments of the sources and sinks of nitrous oxide, which are available on a very good website called the Global Carbon Project, which is where you'll find everything you kind of need to know about carbon dioxide and methane. Um, and there's a very good summary for, for nitrous oxide as well. So I think nitrous oxide is different because of its long lifetime and because it's actually used more widely than desferane in the health service. Yeah, absolutely. Not just in, 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 in anaesthetics. No, in delivery suites as labour. Absolutely. Uh, and and there I think, you know, there's, there's, you do need to do, I think, um, an audit on, on how much... It, uh, nitrous oxide is used each year in the, what the emissions are. Even just, it doesn't have to be hugely accurate. It needs to be an order of magnitude assessment mm-hmm. and compare it with what we know are the natural and anthropogenic sources of nitrous oxide in the atmosphere. And that will give at least a sense of is this important or is it not in the grand scheme of things. Um, and it is always a balance between what's best for the patient, what's economically best, cost comes into it, and finally, of course, what's best for the environment. But I think it's important that we always have the environment part in perspective in terms of the global picture yeah. and the fact that what we're do- what you're doing with nitrous oxide might be so tiny that it's more important to put your time and energy and money mm-hmm. into reducing your direct carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah, and as, as we've said before, the uh, evidence needs to uh, back up the decision-making. Precisely, uh, which it didn't in the case of Destro. Absolutely. Um, and finally, as individuals, um, what do you... Uh, suggest would be um, things that we could do in order to try and reduce our carbon footprints. Um, I think quite a few of us already try and cycle to work and try and avoid using their own private cars and maybe try and use public transport. Um, Any 
other pointers in that regard? Well, I think, you know, it's worth sometimes thinking about supply chains and where the things that you buy um, have come from, how far they've travelled. So, I mean, I'm always sort of thinking seasonally about the food I buy and where it's come from. Um, I think that you're quite right. We can think about how can I reduce my personal CO2 emissions by just more energy efficiency in my home, you know, and, and of course using the car and all those sorts of things. But then I think, you know, there's, an, there's an, another crisis going on, which we didn't really talk about this morning, which is the biodiversity crisis, which in, in, in many ways is as critical as the climate crisis. And it's much more immediate. And I think what we can do could have a much more immediate impact on the natural environment than we can have necessarily on climate change. Mm. So I think you know, things like, as they say, making space for nature in our cities, in our gardens, in our hospitals. Um, and we know that access to green spaces, uh, to the natural world, is, is hugely beneficial for health and well-being. We learned that and we can document it through COVID. We knew that. Yeah, There's a lot of really good studies on that now. So I think, you know, and then also thinking about, well, what do I put in my green spaces? Um, that will encourage biodiversity, encourage insect life and bird life. And, and of course, you know, planting trees is not just about looking in carbon. Mm-hmm. Planting trees does, has, has many, many other benefits to managing the natural environment. And, and things like you know, flash flooding from mm-hmm. extreme rainfall, we know that, it, that trees actually mediate that quite well by breaking up the 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 deluge onto the surface so you know um yeah absolutely trees do so many good things for us so let's all plant yeah some more trees around our hospitals and in our gardens and in our towns and villages and um think about making space for nature well, on that note, uh, thank you very much for joining us today, um, Dane Julia, um, here at the Annual Congress in Edinburgh. Thank you very much for a very thought-provoking speech and interview. It's been my pleasure. Thank, thank you. you.